Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. So, uh, no pop opening today. I'm out of pop. Boo, my life sucks. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well. Uh, I survived a hurricane in the last two weeks. That was great. Uh, lucky for me, the power didn't go out. Uh, thank God for, I guess, the uh, my university's power grid. <laughs> uh, the lights flickered a couple of times, but other than that, it was uh, fine. Me and my friend... Uh, watched movies all day and just kind of hoped that the power wouldn't go out because then all we would have to do is play the game Monopoly, which I bought, which probably would have ruined our friendship. So it's probably like a really good idea that the power didn't go out. Um, what else? Oh, my birthday is in like three-ish weeks, technically. Yeah, almost more like two and a half weeks. Um, but like sad news, it seems like my Speak Now cardigan won't be here by my birthday. Because, um, so it was supposed to ship on the 21st of September. And, uh, every day since the 21st, it has been changing the shipping date by, like, a couple of days every time. And I, like, emailed, like, Taylor Swift Shop being like, hey, what's up with that? And they're like, oh, it's a pre-order item that's supposed to go out November 17th. And I was like, November 17th? That's not what it said when I ordered it. I'm still waiting for them to reply back, but that's just stupid. Anyone let me know if they're having similar problems if you ordered one or were lucky enough to get one from the first batch because that's just stupid. I want my fuzzy, cozy cardigan for my birthday. <laughs> um. Anyway, school's been pretty good. You know, you guys remember Flappy Bird. I'm sure most of you do. You know when you were playing that game, you were doing so well you couldn't believe it and then your bird would smack its head on the pipe? That's how I feel like with my schoolwork. Like I'm keeping up with it, but I feel like if I'm just like not paying attention for like one second, it's all gonna go to shit. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Anyway, you guys don't want to not what you're here for. Uh, today we are talking about Princess Renee of France, Duchess of Ferrara. Now, we have talked about her a bit on the show before, although very briefly. Uh, she is the sister of Queen Claude of France, my birthday twin, speaking of my birthday. <laughs> Um, I didn't know that much about Renee other than like the little things I had learned while researching her sister. And honestly, I didn't really expect much from her story, but I was, I was shocked that she is, she's incredibly interesting. She has a story that goes on much longer than, you know, her sister Claude, because Claude died when she was like 21. Renee lived a, a much fuller life and actually got to like, uh, live through some, uh, 
very interesting historical event. So I hope you guys are ex excited to learn about Renee today. Uh, let's get into it. Okay, so Princess Renée of France, Duchess of Ferrara, was born on the 25th of October, 1510, in Blois, as the second child and youngest daughter of King Louis XII of France and Anne, the reigning Duchess of Brittany. Now, of course, her being born on the 25th of October, which is, you know, coming up in a couple of weeks, makes her a Scorpio. And oh boy, oh boy, do we love a good Scorpio around here. I mean, they are personally, for me, the scariest zodiac signs. I mean, they lit... They have cut a bitch energy, and they tend to be fairly bold people, which I think describes Renee perfectly. I mean, you gotta be tough to survive Renaissance Italy. I mean, you've you've gotta have some like really like like a cold bitch personality to live in Renaissance Italy. I know I couldn't do it. I'm not cutthroat enough. Uh, Renee had a hectic up and down life, and I did not expect to read about that because, like I've already said, I, I didn't know that much about Renee to begin with, uh, because I was more focused on the short, tragic life of her sister Claude, who I absolutely adore, and I just want to give a big hug. Uh, speaking of family, let's talk a bit about her parents and her older sister Claude and the complicated relationship she had with her family, because even that is messy. Now, uh, because of this uh, messiness, I have I have named this section about uh, Renee's family Kardashian-level family drama, because it's that bad. So, to properly set Renee's story up, we need to talk about the arranged marriage of her parents and the rocky road to her birth, which we talked a decent amount about um, in Claude's episode, but I feel the need to re reiterate it again, because it's it's got a lot to do with how Renee's life goes. Um, Renee's mom, who we have talked about before, and she'll hopefully get her own episode one day, was the reigning Duchess of Brit Brittany, which is a region in the northwest of France that had managed to keep its independence from the rest of France, and Anne was fiercely protective of that independence. She didn't want Brittany to become a part of France. Now, over the course of Anne's younger life, she was betrothed to several people in order to avoid Brittany being annexed by France. In 1489, she married Maximilian of Austria, our girl Mary of Burgundy's husband, by proxy. Uh, but when the uh, King of France at the time, Charles VIII, heard about this uh, marriage by proxy, he marched on the city that Anne was in and laid siege to it until it surrendered, and Anne was possibly forced to renounce her marriage and be uh, engaged to Charles. We're not sure if she did that willingly, uh, or if, like, she was, like, made to do it. Anyway, uh, mind you, she was an itsy-bitsy little teenager at this time, and Charles was, like, in his, like, 20s or something like that, so, like... I also, like, he had an army around her gates. She didn't really have a choice. Uh, long story short, Anne, Duchess of Brittany, gets married to uh, the King France under the condition that whichever spouse outlived the other got to keep Brittany. Uh, and if Charles uh, died with no heirs, Anne had to marry the next King of France. So, you know, little teenage Anne signs that agreement because she has no choice. Um, long story short, Anne had a terrible time trying to have children with Charles. Basically, every kid they had was a miscarriage or a stillbirth, or if the baby lived, it got sick and died after a few months or even a couple of days. And after a handful of years of marriage, Charles died in a very, very odd accident that we don't have time to get into. I think, I think I, I'm pretty sure I talked about it in Claude's episode. Anyway, you can Google it. It's hilarious. But once he did die, the terms of her marriage contract came into effect, and that's when Renee's dad comes into the picture. And the future Louis XII of France was a distant cousin of Charles and was officially named his successor, which meant Anne had to marry him. But there was a problem. Uh, Louis was already married. 
Um, Louis was married to King Charles' sister, Joan, but he hated Joan, and he wanted to marry Anne, mostly for her land, but also because Anne was a lot prettier than Joan was. So he started the process of getting an annulment, and Anne tried to play it smart by saying, Oh, oh, Louis, uh, I'd love to marry you, but, um, you're already married. Um, but if you can get an annulment within, say, a year, I'll marry you. Now, I think Anne was uh, gambling that uh, the annulment would take a long time. I mean, think of Henry VIII trying to get an annulment from Catherine of Aragon. That took years, and it didn't even end up, uh, you know, being approved by the church. So, um, Anne was sure she she was not going to have to marry him. Um, unfortunately, she lost this gamble. Uh, Louis managed to get the annulment in under a year, and she and Louis were married in January of 1499. Now, Anne and Louis had a very interesting relationship because one moment, um, it would seem like Louis was nothing but supportive of Anne, trying to keep Brittany independent and was, like, respectful of her, like, own independent power. And the next, he treated her like lots of people treated early Renaissance women, which was terribly. (laughs) Um, while she was alive, it seemed like he had every intention of making sure that Brittany was going to remain separate from France, but he basically stabbed her in the back after she died. Now, Um, Anne and Louis had serious problems having children, um, even though their marriage started off well with the birth of their eldest daughter, my birthday twin, Princess Claude of France, in October of 1499. Um, after Claude's birth, they wouldn't have a healthy child for another 11 years until Renée was born in 1510. I mean, what fucking bad luck. But at least Renée got a baller christening out of it because everyone was, like, so desperate for, like, a new kid to be born. Now, despite the fact that both Renee and Claude lived longer, uh, neither were super healthy their entire lives. Uh, Renee had scoliosis like Claude did, although um, I've heard Renee's scoliosis wasn't nearly as bad as Claude's, Claude's was. And they just had generally bad health their entire lives. Now, when Renee was born, it was thought unlikely that Anne would have any more children, so both Anne and Louis started figuring out the succession of both their holdings, and this is where the backstabbing comes in by Louis. Now, Louis and Anne agreed that if there were no sons to inherit, their daughter would marry um, King Charles of Spain to create a good alliance for the next king of France, and that Renée would be given the Duchy of Brittany to rule when she came of age, which would have been like 14 or 15 years old. Um, It seemed all figured out, everything was good, but shit hit the fan when Renée's mom died. Um, Anne had been pregnant, like, 11 times since she was 15 years old, and even, like, the healthiest people can't really, you know, handle that. It took a serious toll on her health, and it finally killed her in, uh, 1514 when Renee was only four years old. And her dad immediately, like, almost directly after Anne died, did the most disrespectful shit. Louis had no intention of following the succession plan he and his wife, his partner, had agreed on, and... Um, less than a few months after Anne's death, he married Claude to, um, his own cousin Francis, who was next in line for the French throne if he had no sons, and stripped Renée of her right to Brittany and gave it to Claude so that it would stay in control of France. What a- We've talked about Louis XII a couple times on the show. What a motherfucker. Oh my god. You, like, you had a plan. <laughs> you fucking threw out the plan immediately after your wife died. You fucking bitch. Now, not too long after that, Louis tried one more time to have a son, um, also, like, kind of fucking up his own inheritance plan by, like, trying to have a kid when he married his daughter. Anyway, <laughs> um, he married uh, Henry VIII's little sister, Mary, uh, came out to nothing, he couldn't get her pregnant, and he uh, died in 1515 when Renee was five years old. 
Now, I can't imagine having this much family drama in my life at kindergarten age. Like, before five, both of her parents were dead. Her dad screwed her out of her inheritance because he was a greedy motherfucker and wanted Anne's lands attached to France forever. Fucking asshole. My god. Anyway. Um... Moving away from that, um, Renee's early education uh, just before her parents died was headed by uh, Michelle, Michelle de Saubon, who was a close friend of Queen Anne's, and Anne basically begged Michelle to take care of her children after she died because she was worried that they weren't going to be properly taken care of. Now, Michelle was very influential in Renee's like early toddler life and taught her about fine art, literature, and about reformed religion, which we will discuss a little more later. After Renee's brother-in-law, Francis, succeeded to the throne, his family basically took complete control over Renee's life. And Francis's mom, Louise, who hated Renee's mom, Anne, had Michelle Saubon dismissed from Renee's care and put her daughter, Marguerite, in charge of Renee. Now, normally I'd say Louise was being a fucking bitch and was trying to manipulate little baby Renee. And that was definitely true, totally. Louise hated Anne and wanted complete control over Renee's life. But Marguerite was actually a stellar choice to manage Renee's education. Marguerite was a true Renaissance woman. I mean, she was fantastically educated. She was a writer involved in government. Her brother literally listened to her as King of France. She was also known for her religious tolerance of Protestants, and she instilled all those values in little Renee as she raised her at French court. Also, a little aside about Renee being raised at French court at this time was that Renee became very good friends with a certain teenaged Anne Boleyn who served in Queen Claude's household. Now, Renee later in life often recalled uh, that Anne Boleyn was one of the kindest people she knew at French court, which I think, you know says a lot. Um, as already mentioned, Renee had a stellar education under her original governess and under her, her sister-in-law, Marguerite, where she studied art, literature, language, uh, and music at an advanced level. Um, she was, uh, I believe, was a really good harp player. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. Anyway, all of Renee's tutors gushed about what a fine student she was turning out to be and just like how smart she was. Uh, most of all, Marguerite, who became kind of like a close friend and kind of like a surrogate mom, was very proud of her progress in her studies. Now, regarding Renee's looks, she was not the best looking princess in the world. She was very plain featured. She had red hair like her sister. Um, also that, you know, mild case of scoliosis, which gave her a bit of a hump in her back. In her back. But like, you know, you could you know, fix that by wearing certain dresses. Um, she was really similar in appearance to a lot of members of her family. I believe Anne had red hair, too. I think that's where she got it from. Um, now, Renee spent most of her childhood raised in her sister's co court, um, although they weren't super close because, you know, they had a really large age gap. They were 11 years apart. I mean, uh, Claude was um, in her late teens for, you know, most of um, Renee's childhood. So, I mean, what does, like, a teenager have to talk to their, like, five-year-old sister about, right? Um, and unfortunately, Claude died at 24 years old as well from her frequent pregnancy so they just didn't really get to know each other that well but from from what i've read they really did love each other a lot um and just after that um renee's sister-in-law marguerite married king henry of navarre and had to move but luckily renee was allowed to live in navarre with marguerite until uh, 1528 she had a couple years living with marguerite there where she got to continue her education um 
Unfortunately for Renee in 1528, it was time for Renee to do what all princesses do, and that was to marry well. Okay, so I'm sure frequent listeners of the show remember our good friend Francis I of France and his absolutely crazy obsession with Italy. Well, that heavily influenced Francis's first choice for young Renee's marriage, and that was Ercole, heir to the Duchy of Ferrara. Now, Ferrara is located in northeastern Italy, and Ferrara had been a staunch ally of Rene's dad when he had started the Italian wars because he wanted Italy. Um, and it seemed that Ercole's dad wanted to keep up that French reliance, and in cahoots with Francis, had a marriage treaty drawn up for Rene to marry Ercole. Now, the Duke of Ferrara was given a very generous dowry for Rene, and Rene herself was given a very generous allowance from her brother-in-law, Francis, to live in Italy. Now, Renee and Ericle were officially married on the 28th of June, 1528, in Paris. Ericle had to travel to France to marry his French bride rather than her going there, which is usually the norm. Um, the bride was 18 and the groom was 20. We have a fucking acceptable age gap for the first time in a while. I love that. Now, before we talk about her time as Duchess and her children, let's talk a bit about her new husband, Ericle, uh, his life, and Renee and Ericle's relationship. Now, believe it or not, Ercole himself is yet another crossover on this episode because we have talked a bit about him uh, already just this season. Uh, there's two crossovers in this episode. Our girl Claude was the first. Uh, this is the second one. Now, Ercole was the son of our girl Lucrezia Borgia and her slightly loony third husband, Alfonso Este. Now, much like his mother, Ercole was handsome, with a passion for hunting, theater, adventure. He was a real leader in the making. He was ambitious. He had political savviness, probably, you know, inherited from his Borgia family. Um, unfortunately for Renee, Ercole was pretty set against marrying her from the start, as he thought an alliance with King Charles of Spain was a better call, but he was forced into marriage anyway because it wasn't his call, it was his daddy's call. Um, it didn't help uh, Ercole's already negative attitude when he was, you know, less than impressed with his new wife anyway. Um, as I mentioned before, Rene was not a beauty, uh, which apparently mattered to Ercole. So he was really cold to her from the start because not only did he not want to marry her because he thought the alliance was stupid, he thought she was ugly. Now, the relationship only worsened when Francis and Charles signed a pact uh, Charles of Spain, and left Ferrara completely out in the cold, which made Ercole resent his new bride because if he couldn't take it out on uh, Renee's brother-in-law, he was going to take it out on his bride. Now, because of Renee's isolation, she kind of had to create like a little bubble around herself to make her feel comfortable in a foreign land, and she did just that. Now, Renee made sure she had French servants, uh, that everyone around her spoke French, that the clothes of her court followed French fashion, the meals she was served were French cuisine. She also heavily, and I mean heavily, clung to Protestantism, which she had learned from her foster mom, Marguerite, and she continued to learn from her former governess, Michelle, who she had rehired and brought with her to Ferrara as her lady-in-waiting. Now, Renee's overt support of Protestantism heavily concerned her husband and his courtiers as this is Renaissance Italy and they were super fucking Catholic. Like, the Pope is like, you know, just over there. They're basically neighbors. And Ergo hated that Renee was being tolerant to Protestants and was really interested in Protestantism. 
Um, and in response to a lot of the criticism that was being levied at Renee about her support of Protestantism, she said that if she had had a beard, she would have been king of France and that they would be her subjects. So she felt responsible to help and protect them, which is fucking baller quote. I want to get that on a t-shirt. Um, her support of Protestants only increased when she started having children as, as she involved Protestant tutors in all her children's education. Now, Renee's first child was Anna, or Anne, born in 1531, uh, three years after the wedding. It took a while for them to actually, uh, you know, to have sex and consummate their marriage because, as I already mentioned, Ericold didn't fucking like Renee for, like, reasons that, like, aren't her fault. Um, Anne, or Anna, was followed in 1533 by uh, Sanner Alfonso, and then another daughter named Lucrezia Marie in 1535, and then after that, another daughter named Eleonora, and finally, the couple's last child, a son named, wait for this, Luigi, was born in 1538, which is by far the most Italian thing they could have named that kid. Um, for the education of her three daughters, Renee hired uh, Protestant tutors. She was also able to invite Protestant preachers, or at least, you know, Catholic preachers with reformed tendencies, to come and teach her children. Now, Renee created an environment of such, you know, relative safety for Protestants that the famous Protestant uh, preacher John Calvin felt safe enough to come to uh, Renee's court in Ferrara and to work for her. And, like, I think that that says a lot. Because, like, it's, like I said, it's Renaissance Italy. They're super fucking Catholic. They will kill you for being Protestant. But John Calvin felt safe enough to, like, physically go there. Now, Renee and Calvin shared many similarities. They were almost the same age. I believe Calvin was a year older than her. Uh, they were both French and both away from their homeland. Now, from the correspondence, which uh, continued until Calvin's death, we see that Renee held Calvin in high honor. He seemed uh, to really like the Duchess. Um... Even when his, like, you know, even when he disagreed with her, like, he often, like, corrected her choices, but he still, like, held her in high esteem. Uh, Renee became even more bold about her reformed faith when her father-in-law died and she became Duchess of Ferrara in 1534, giving her much more power to do what she wanted. Now, like I've already said, Renee and Calvin were tight, and she listened to his advice constantly over the next decade, including when he told her to stop attending Catholic Mass, which, you know, doesn't seem like a big deal if you're not Catholic, but it was basically like her directly bitch-slapping the church. Like, okay, I'm not Catholic anymore, me personally. I used to go to a Catholic school, we used to attend Mass every day, and we learned a lot about how the church works. Um, not going to Mass is a really big deal. Now, by the 1550s, the Pope could no longer ignore the blatant disrespect that Renée was showing towards Catholicism, um, even if she was a French princess. Um, in 1554, a Jesuit priest named Jean Pelletier arrived in Ferrara to help uh, build a Jesuit college in the city, but he was also on a secret mission from the Pope to investigate Renée's religious activities. Now, Father Jean was able to uh, very easily convince Renée's husband to control Renée's contact with Protestant thinkers and had her ordered to start attending Mass again. Now, at first, Father Jean thought it would be really easy to outsmart Renée because he genuinely thought he was smarter than her because he was like, oh, she's a woman, what does she know? But I guess no one told him that she was her parents' daughter and he did not know who the fuck he was messing with. Mm-mm, snap, snap, snap. Now, Ericol went as far as to call up Renée's nephew, King Henry II of France, to send a priest to Renée to renew her faith in Catholicism, 
But it didn't work because John Calvin sent a Protestant priest to uh, kind of like counteract the Protest the uh, Catholic priest. Like he was like, no, Protestantism. Hi, yeah. Um, now Renee was holding really firm and like her belief in reformed faith and it was really pissing off the pope it was pissing off Ercole. it was pissing off a lot of catholic europe that she just wouldn't fucking give she wouldn't fucking give it up so Ercole did some messed up shit <laughs> and um accused his own wife of heresy um and had her arrested and imprisoned because Ercole was you know just that bitch at least he wasn't like completely insane like his dad was um now, renee's children were taken away from her which is really sad renee loved her children and she was locked in a single room in uh the a castle in ferrara i guess where her only interactions were with her two servants and the inquisitors who were assigned to question her now, her husband, the Duke, uh, refused to see her and simply sent a message that said, You shall be under the rule of man, to which she replied, My lord, you may be lord over my body, but not over my soul. Fucking get it, Renee? Fucking love you. Oh my god. Now, for much of her imprisonment, uh, she refused to lie about her beliefs. Uh, then they threatened her by telling her that she would never see her children again if she didn't recant her beliefs. Uh, Renee tried to reach a middle ground by promising to attend Mass again, and that satisfied the Pope and the Inquisitors. Uh, but Ercole wasn't convinced that Renee was actually going to go back to Catholicism, and he demanded that she fully reconcile herself with the Church. Like, he wanted, he wanted her to basically get down on her hands and knees and confess to a priest and apologize in front of everyone. Um... Now, while many Protestants were disappointed with her decision to uh, do exactly what Ercole wanted her to do, I get why she ended up, like, giving up and confessing. Renee had been locked up for weeks with no books and no one to talk to, and she was worried she'd probably never see her children again because Ercole would have gone through with the threat of taking away her kids. Like, she was probably thinking at that point, is it really worth losing my children over this? So on September 13th, 1554, Renee confessed her wrongdoing to the Inquisitors. Her confession lasted three hours, apparently, with uh, strong uh, repentance, I think that's how you pronounce that, and tears. She cried a lot. I don't know if those were, like, real tears or she was just, like, hamming it up for the drama, which, you know, fucking kudos to her. Uh, she also wrote a letter to her husband promising complete submission to him. In the end, everyone in the church seemed satisfied and Renee's children were returned to her care, but Ercole was still skeptical because it's Ercole, um, even after she went full force in her apology. He requested to uh, read the reports of confessions by people who had been at her palace and tried to keep a close eye on who she talked to in uh, letters and in person, but it is pretty likely she was still helping out the Protestants behind her husband's back with the help of John Calvin, even after she had confessed. Now, in 1559, Renee's husband became sick, and he died on the 3rd of October, 1559, which, for the first time in decades, freed Renee to do whatever she wanted, and she wanted to go home. Now, it's important to remember, Renee had been absent from France since 1528, and it's 1559 now, and much had changed not only in her family, but also religiously for France as a country. Now, at the time, Renee's uh, teenage great-nephew, Francis II of France, was on the throne with his teenage bride, Mary Queen of Scots, and there was a very very intense religious war going on to control the throne with the Guise family on the Catholic side and the Bourbon family on the Protestant side. 
Now, worst of all for Renee, it wasn't easy for Renee to choose sides when she came back to France. Because, uh, not only because she believed in tolerance for both religions, but also because she had close connections with members of both uh, religious factions. Now, on the Bourbon side, there was Henry of Navarre, who was the son of Marguerite, the woman who had literally raised Renee from the time she was five or six years old uh, to being a teenager. And on the Guise side was Renee's favorite uh, daughter and eldest child, Anna, who had married into the Catholic faction. She was uh, the, I think she was the Duchess of Guise at this point. I'm not sure. Anyway, she was definitely married into the Guise family. Now, Renee tried to stay as low-key as possible when she arrived back in France. She moved to a castle in Montagis. I think that's how you pronounce that. Montagis? Oh, no. Montagis. Which was pretty far from the capital where she uh, built a Calvinist church and opened her doors to Protestant refugees trying to, you know, distance herself from the religious wars of her family. But it ended up following her there anyway. Uh, She tried to stay as neutral as possible and opened up her castle to all wounded in the religious wars, no matter their religion. But when her son-in-law, the Duke of Guise, was murdered in 1564, it really bothered Renee because people would, like, literally go up to her and comment that he was probably in hell for, like, what he did. And uh, she wrote to John Calvin about it because she didn't know how to, like, feel about it. Like, yeah, sure, he was Catholic, but that was also, like you know, her son-in-law, that's the father of her grandchildren. And uh, John Calvin warned her to not make it personal, but he also agreed that it was inappropriate for people to tell her that they hoped the, f- the father of her grandchildren was in hell. Um, now, Renee's good friend John Calvin would die in 1564, and Renee tried to continue her neutrality in the wars of religion, uh, no matter how bad it was getting and how involved her relatives were in the war. Now, Renee tried to convince her son Alfonso not to persecute Protestants in Ferrara. Now, instead of listening to his mom, he threatened her and then contacted the French king to basically, um, like, reclaim her income and land so she could stop helping Protestants. Like, you know, she's got no estates and no money. She can't do anything. Like, (laughs) wow. Who would have thought Alfonso would turn out to be a dick like his dad? It's clearly genetic. Um... Jumping ahead again, in 1572, Renee managed to uh, escape the bloodbath of the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre in Paris after she attended the wedding of, um, kind of like, her adopted brother, Henry of Navarre, who is the, as I already mentioned, the son of her, you know, foster mom, Marguerite, and her great-niece, Marguerite of Valois. Now, the massacre of the Protestants lasted three days and claimed the lives of over 3,000 people, uh, not just inside Paris, also outside of Paris. Uh, Renee helped some of those uh, under attack and offered them shelter at her home. Um, a few years later, uh, after that, in f- uh, 1575, uh, Renee unfortunately died in her home um, after writing her last will and testament. Uh, she listed all of her titles in her will to show her, you know, complete and total awesomeness. Um, unfortunately, she died estranged from most of her children because of these religious wars that I just, like, I don't have time to get into super big specifics because a lot of it doesn't actually have a lot to do with her. The point is that Renee was trying to help everyone and ended up screwing her anyway. Now, um... Renee's son Alfonso went against pretty much all of Renee's wishes and had Catholic masses uh, sung for his mother, even though she didn't want that when she died. Although, uh, luckily, her daughter Anna 
fucking G Anna ensured Renee was buried simply as she had asked in her will. Now, before talking about Renee's legacy uh, in the religious wars and in life, let's talk briefly about Renee's kids, what they did, and why she was estranged from most of them. Now, as I have mentioned, Renee's oldest child, Anna, or Anne, was married to the leader of the conservative Catholic faction at French court. Um, Anna's sons were also uh, heavily involved in Catholicism, which made Renee very torn between her love for her daughter and grandchildren and her faith. Now, the same thing happened with her son, Alfonso, who was super ultra-Catholic like his dad, and was also just as much of a dick as his dad, and tried to get Renee in trouble and take away her power. Um, Renee's second oldest daughter, Lucrezia, lived up to her namesake grandmother. Uh, Lucrezia had a string of lovers and ended up being married at age 35 to a 20-year-old for political reasons by her brother. And, uh, Lucrezia served as a patron of the arts and seemed well-loved. Um, I'm not sure how her and her mom's relationship was. I wasn't able to find anything on that, but I hope it was, like, still good. Like, I can't see why, um, Lucrezia wouldn't like her mom. At this point, like, she doesn't seem to have been super, um, involved. Maybe they didn't like each other because Lucrezia was a little slutty like her grandmother. Anyway, um, there doesn't seem to be much on Eleonora. Other than that, she never married and lived five years longer than her mom. I hope they had a good, decent relationship. Um, as for, uh, Renee's youngest child, Luigi, uh, he joined the church and became an incredibly influential cardinal in the church. So I assume he was estranged from his mom because I doubt he would have, you know, got as far in the church as he did if he interacted posi positively with his uh reformed protestant mom which which sucks but you know go luigi for you know getting that church bag well done um getting into legacy renee's legacy is absolutely crazy i mean she was born into a family that took a lot from her so much drama before she was even five years old and despite the fact that she married someone who didn't give a shit about her and wanted to, like, bury her influence, Renee rose up, established her own court, patronized artists and writers, and made Ferrara her own, even before she was Duchess of Ferrara. However, most of all, Renee should be best remembered for her tolerance towards others and her kindness regardless of religion in a time when that was a very rare attitude. You were either on one side or the other, and Renee chose neither. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. I will see you in two weeks with the season finale of season five. Goodbye. Love y'all. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a two instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.